Welcome to It's Out of Here, the podcast where two Mets addicted know it alls spew misinformed opinions every week. My name is Ben Strauss, and I'm here with my co host, Jay Han, and producer, Malps. Malps, what were you talking about with the, uh, the viewing parties? Did you go to the Nationals? You went to the Nationals Park when they were in Houston? Yeah, so like when they were in Houston, that the Nats Park, they would just have some people. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say some people. Like they gave out tickets, like oh, you can come to the stadium and still watch the game, and like they would just have it up on the big screen and whatnot. But I mean, just like any viewing party, just cool. with the teams like out of town. So we're uh, we're all passionate fans in here. Most of us are Mets fans. But Brendan, uh, what what team are you most passionate about? What team do you root for, and why? Uh, lifelong Cubs fan. Uh, grew up right near Chicago, so I would go to both Sox and Cubs growing up. They're kind of the same distance, but, you know, I, I don't dislike the White Sox. You know, I know in New York, there's probably very few people that, that root for both. I don't, I wouldn't say I root for both, but I don't mind if the Sox do well. Like, you know, I kind of like it, but uh, yeah, but in terms of fandom, all Cubs all the way. Um, lately, my dad my parents live down in Florida now. So my dad's kind of become a Rays fan, which I wasn't so sure about at first, just cause I mean, he didn't grow up in Chicago. He's not like a childhood Cubs fan, but he's been a Cubs fan for many, many, many years. And he's like a little bit switched over. So I was kind of not that supportive, but the Rays have become my second team, if you will. Um, which, yeah, I don't know if you've seen them much this year, but pretty easy to root for They're very easy to root for. They're just, they're, I don't know. Every inning I turn on the game, they have like two guys on base. Like that can't be true mathematically, but I swear every, it's like just about every inning they score. Or if they don't score, it's like, you know, second and third with two outs and maybe they don't drive them in, but it's. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I'm interested to see what their uh, opposing whip is for when they're, when they're batting. Yeah. That's like pretty much every stat when they're batting, it's, it's on base, just everything. Yeah, they're, it seems like they're ahead of the league and, like, all the analytical stuff. They seem to know what they're doing. Um, I, they, they, they find players that produce somehow, some way, always. But um, going back to, like, the Cubs a little bit, what do you think of the deadline dump-off, I guess you could call it? Yeah, I mean, the initial reaction was just uh, kind of sadness, just that nostalgic sadness I did – I don't know if I'd say I shed a few tears. I don't know if they actually came down my cheek, but my I did well up some tears. Um, I think some Cubs fans were sort of angry or 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 like baffled or just I don't know. They just they had like a really negative reaction. I didn't so much have that. I felt like maybe it's the right choice, maybe it's not. I don't know if it was right or wrong, but like regardless, just seeing the window close, just seeing in the span of like two or three afternoons the whole thing come to a close. Um, Yeah. It just, it just felt sad. And, and also like it's hardly ever happened in baseball where such a great group that did something historic that are so beloved, you know, everything comes to an end, but it's not really been the case in baseball history that it comes to an end like that. Like in the same week, just the whole thing is done. Um, And I mean, Theo and Madden, Zobrist, some, you know, Lester's a couple players had already left. So you know, it's not the whole team, but that core group, you're just, I don't know. It felt really, oh, it just, it just hits you in the emotions. Um, it feels like two years, one or two years ago that they won the world series. I know it was, I guess, five, but anyway, so that's, that's kind of my take. Well, that, that crew seemed to be loved more than 
most cores, I, I guess you could say. But um, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think from a, a Mets fan perspective, the Cubs, when they, you know, in 2015, when they lost to the Mets, but then in 2016, when they won the World Series, that team kind of had dynasty written all over it. Thought they would definitely get back to a couple or more World Series. But, um, you know, everything happens and uh, they got the one. So that's important. But, um, yeah, and just just as for the dynasty thing, it's like so few teams even get to that point. I mean, how many baseball dynasties can we even think about in the past forty years? Like the Yankees. Yankees. I mean, kind of the Giants in the sense yeah. that they won three, but then again, I don't know if I'd call it that because in between they missed the playoffs, and since then they, I guess they made the playoffs once. That's probably the closest thing. I think. The Braves. Yeah. You could say the Braves in like the nineties. Yeah. The Braves, but even then they only won one, so oh, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. That's the thing. The Cubs. I don't know. I'm just not a greedy person at all. It's like, I, if I can see another world series in my lifetime, I'd be, I'd be so thrilled, but you know, I never thought they were, I didn't think after they won in 2016, I didn't think they were going to win another one in the next five years. I mean, it was definitely possible, but I, I wasn't sitting there being like, this is the first of, you know, three in a row or this, the, it's just baseball doesn't work like that. You hardly ever see. Oh, and you know, you know look at the Dodgers who really built that, uh, build a team every year that can compete. And they've only had one, you know, they have a, a lot of different players, a lot of different contracts, but right. uh, only only one in that time period. And they might not even get in as the, the division as they might have to play in, play into a five game series, you know? Well, and they've only been to three. I mean, and that's great. Like three is a lot, but they've in this like eight or nine year period, they've been to three, one, one. And that's about as good as you can hope for, except, you know, if you're the Yankees 20 years ago. Yeah. But other than that, it's, yeah, you just don't see it. Yeah. To have gotten over the hump a little, they they kind of had some underperformers and in the beginning of this run. But now, I mean, last year, let's see if that sparks them. Maybe they'll go back to back. But um, all right, getting a little bit away from the dynasty talk and Cubs talk, but um, let's go a little bit more personal with you. So you wrote um, in October to remember 1968, and we thought that was very interesting. The story behind that. We just want to know what was the inspiration for you behind writing that. Uh, yeah, the inspiration was sort of two different things that came together. The first was my favorite book of all time, or I guess sports book, um, is The Glory of Their Times. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's this, it was published in the 60s, and it's written about baseball players in the 1910s. So this guy in the early 60s, who I think he was an NYU like economics or maybe history professor, he drove all around the country and he, he met these really old men who had played with Ty Cobb. They were kind of that Ty Cobb had died. The, the book actually came from the author seeing, you know, hearing about Ty Cobb dying. He felt sort of sad that like realizing that whole generation was kind of going to start passing away. So anyway, he got in his car and he went all around the country for like three years and found, you know, met and then interviewed these players. Um, and then the whole book, the reason I loved it so much is because the whole book is an oral history. It's not, Lawrence Ritter, the author, you know, like interjecting or, or writing it and inserting their quotes. It's just the whole thing is, is the interviews. Um, so I always had that in my mind as a thing I wanted to do sometime, like something similar. And then it came to the other inspiration was going to the World Series in 2016. I was at game seven with my dad. It, like he had this World Series fund for like 35 years when they just missed it in 84, the Cubs. Um, and so finally, like this once in a lifetime thing happened, we got to go. Um, it was just, you know, such a beautiful night. And 
so being there for that, I just had this idea in my head of the World Series being significant, not just that World Series, but like just as a, as a thing, as a concept, like more so than the Super Bowl or, you know, whatever, the NBA Finals, the World Series, it just feels bigger to me. It's older. Like I just, that was probably the first of the championships I ever watched as a kid. So as I was sitting there that fall, I just kind of put those two ideas together. I wanted to do a book that was an oral history. And then I had the whole World Series thing. So I put them together and I did something a little different than, than the glory of their times where for my book, it was focused on a World Series, the 68 World Series, whereas his book was just, you know, he would interview these men kind of generally about their careers. Um, the, the players I sat down with, I kind of all had them talk about the seven games of the 68 World Series and kept it focused. Um, and they would go off on little tangents and like tell stories about fighting at a bar in like Minneapolis and 65 and you know they had all these like crazy winter league puerto rico stories and just all sorts of stuff but like the core of what i was talking to them about was you know the slider on the outside corner in game three in the third inning that you know you hit out for a home run and the guys could remember i mean like they'd see the videotape and they could tell you all about what happened like you know 50 years later so that's that's really interesting that uh that the the aspect that uh you take there in terms of actually dissecting pitch by pitch. I know Keith Hernandez has a book like that. I think it's um, it's either first base hero or life baseball in the 86 mats. It's, it's one of those two books. I forgot what it is, but it, it really walks you to through pitch by pitch of a baseball game. Hmm. Yeah. Well, even Bob Gibson, who was featured prominently in that world series, he has a book called pitch by pitch mm-hmm. and it's not the whole world series. He just goes through game one, like literally pitch by pitch. And so that's another uh sort of cool one but but yeah it was just really interesting a it was sort of hard to to know if these guys would agree to it i mean i found some addresses online i sent out these nice letters but i had no idea if it would work and even getting the book deal like i had to email a couple publishers i just kind of cold emailed publishers in new york a couple of them got back to me one of them said yes um and you know the yes didn't mean like the book just happens or it exists like i had to go you know, get these baseball players to agree to do it. I can't even just sit down and like crank out, you know, for a month, just crank out the pages. Like they had to say yes to it. Um, so anyway, I was lucky that uh, I think there's 22 players in the book um, and all, but I think one or two of them were in person. Like two of them could only do it on the phone, but I was made sure to just go, you know, mostly driving, but I, I had to fly to Seattle and I flew to California a few other places but for the most part just driving sitting down with them in their living room talking to them and like yeah that's interesting yeah just hearing from them directly like you know what what not just the games but the backstories for the teams and and kind of yeah just everything yeah that that that's really that's really cool i wish that uh i hope one of us can have that type of experience where we're traveling around hopefully with the uh, the 86 mets yeah th- go for it i think yeah I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you guys probably know the Mets books better than I do, but maybe there's not even a really great 86 book out there. I'm not, I'm not sure. Aren't they making an ESPN 30 for 30 yeah. on them? Next week, four parts coming out. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Actually, I have it right over there on my nightstand. Is, uh the book called The Bad Guys One. It's very detailed about the behind the scenes of the 1986 Mets, which um, I wonder if it's going to be somewhat similar to the documentary next week, but 
uh, that 86 team was pretty wild. And the book gets, goes into a lot of detail about stories on flights during the, the playoffs that are just crazy stories that go into the personal stories of what these players went through and the lifestyles they like to live. But um, have yeah. You, well, have you seen, relating to the flights, have you seen that one video that's like a cartoon? That, no. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's the guy who did the Doc Ellis. I don't know if you've seen this one. There's a Doc Ellis LSD no hitter. He was like a pitcher on the Pirates in the 70s, yeah. threw a no hitter, allegedly on LSD. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's some YouTube video where it's like kind of an animated, sort of this like weird, trippy animation. And then the same people who did that did one on the 86. I think it was. Oh, I'm actually seeing that animation right now. I just looked it up. Yeah, definitely watch it later. It's I think it's the game where they came back and beat the – I think the Astros was, was the NLCS, right? Yeah. And, yep. like, they were losing big in game six or seven, and they had some big comeback. I yeah, think they, they I think the little animation is about that game. Okay. Yeah. And then the flight – the flight afterwards, just, like, this crazy, like, zoo on the flight back. Yeah, that's exactly what uh, the book that, – that specific flight on the way back is a – might take up a whole ch- – I'm not sure how long <laughs> it takes yeah. up chapters worth of just stories from that flight but uh transitioning to books i'll let benny take the next one yeah brendan you you briefly talked about some publishing in new york but we you know we saw that you had something uh, published by the new york times uh most notably that was might have been your only piece i'm unsure is the australian baseball article you wrote can you talk about how that story came about and how it ended up being published by the new york times uh yeah so that was one of i wrote either two or three things for them might have been, yeah, might have just been two. But um, that one, I was living in Perth, Australia for a few months after college. And I found out they had a baseball league in Australia. I never heard about it. Like, it just doesn't really come up. Maybe if you follow minor league baseball, like, really closely, you hear sometimes a player It kind of go. It's sort of like a winter league. You might see a player that's a low A minor league yeah. player go there. I- I follow the Somerset Patriots and they have a pitcher a few years back named Nate Rowe, who uh, was uh, playing in Australia before. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, even Didi Gregorius played for the, um, I don't know if he played for the Perth Heat. That's the team there, but he played for one of the teams. Um, but it was like Didi Gregorius before you ever heard of him, you know, it was probably when he was in rookie ball or whatever. I think basically what it is is, a lot of guys will play winter league in like Venezuela, I think, or like maybe there's Mexico or Dominican winter leagues. I think for guys who are American or at least not Hispanic, that the organization maybe feels they would just be like the language barrier, the culture shock might not suit them and say like the Caribbean, Australia is another option, which it's super far, but it's just, I guess maybe it's just a better fit for certain people um, and people at a lower level for whom like the Dominican league might just be a little bit too, too good. Um, so anyway, I found out about this league. I just didn't really know what it, what it was about. Um, and I went to a game. Um, there's probably maybe six teams. I think, I think there's one or two in New Zealand that are in the same league. And then there's like five or six Australian teams. Anyway. So I went to this game. It's like a really small ballpark, kind of like, you know, a single a ballpark in the U S um, probably a hundred people there, maybe 200. Um, so Australians, in case you're wondering, they don't re- really care. I mean, most people don't know they have baseball there, but even when you find out they do, it's not, 
you know, just it's not on TV. Like no one really cares about it, but it's cool that it's that they have it. You know, there are people that kind of follow it. So anyway, I went to the game. I kind of like met some of the people that, that run the team. And then I just pitched this article to, I think I emailed Tyler Kepner, the New York Times. I may have spoken with him on, no, I wasn't even on Twitter then. I think I just sent him an email with a pitch and then he forwarded it to his editor. And then he got, they, I got in touch with him and they, I, I don't know if I sent the whole piece or I just sent the pitch. I forget what I sent. I might've just written the whole piece myself, like already. Um, and they just liked it and they, you know, we got into the editing sort of back and forth and, uh, it was cool cause it ran on a Sunday. It ran print, like kind of big Sunday piece with a bunch of photos. Um, and yeah, it was just a fun, I don't know. It was like a fun first foray into baseball writing in the sense that it was so atypical and so far away, like even Perth within, within Australia, it's kind of like where San Diego is in the U S. So most of the cities in Australia are on the East coast. It, it's like five hour flight West of Sydney. So you fly all the way across the world. Then even you're flying like even five hours further. So um, yeah. Anyway, just to long story short, it was, you know, to, to go that far, find baseball and then be able to do something with it. Like, like go to a game, enjoy it, but kind of, you know, storytell, to people who had no idea it existed was was fun and just the last quick detail on that if you guys know who graham i think his name is graham lloyd is that right the, the Yan- old yankees pitcher yeah graham lloyd yeah that's his, his name's graham right lloyd is his last name uh yeah i believe so okay. from uh the six or no from the 80s and 70s uh, like sort of 80s 90s um 80s, 90s. Yeah, yeah he's from he- australia geelong yeah, he was one of the first Australian players, maybe maybe the first. I think he was on one of the 90s Yankees teams that won it. And uh, so he was at the game. There's, like, so few people at this game. It's so low-key. But there was this kind of, um, like, field-level beer tent that had a couple – I wouldn't say VIPs because that's just too big, like, ridiculous a word for this setting. But I, it was kind of like a special little beer tent. And then he was just in there, like, kind of uh, – I don't know. He was having a lot to drink and, and he was just hanging out. So one of the guys I interviewed that was, I think he was the like marketing guy for the team. He took me in there and I met Graham Lloyd. And um, so that was just a nice little coincidence. Like the odds that he was going to be at that particular game were pretty low, um, but got to say hi to him. And then Liam Hendricks, he wasn't there, but he's from Perth. He played for the Perth Eats. So he's kind of, he is. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Story, but it was it was it was a cool little adventure. Well, uh, New York Times is definitely a great place to start, and uh, especially going off of when you were starting out in the you know just your career, especially with baseball newsletter. Um, did you expect it to gain as much of a following as it has, and has it surprised you, or is it just you know this is what you've been working for that type of thing? Um. Yeah, I mean, it totally surprised. I mean, the thing last year was the account started as the Astros Shame Tour, and that that taking off was, I mean, very surreal. I'll, I'll say. Um, I, I did think it had a chance to catch on a little bit, but I mean, the the like sort of pipe dream I thought was maybe ten thousand followers by the end of the season last year, and I thought that was like very low chances. But maybe you know if some 
big account happens to see something and retweets it and you know i don't know i just maybe there's a chance where it can it can kind of catch on and the idea for that account was just to document all the fans booing the team bringing posters to the games you know like dressing up in oscar the grouch costumes you know whatever they're going to do i can anticipate before the season so this was in like say i think february last year I could just anticipate how angry people were, or at least I could feel how angry I was. And I figured others felt the same way and not even angry in like a sore loser kind of way, just as a baseball fan. I'm not, you know, I'm not a Yankee fan. I'm not a Dodger fan. I just felt, you know, like most people did kind of pissed off that a, they did it and there was no punishment, all that stuff. So um, like to the point where I almost didn't want to watch baseball last year, like going into the season, I'm I'm just thinking, you know, the Cubs aren't going to be that good. Manfred in the league just apparently doesn't care about cheating. I, you know, I don't, I don't really know if I want to keep watching. And I thought I would take that energy instead of just tuning off. I would like, you know, do something, you know, positive or funny with, or just do, just, you know, throw some comedy and throw some thoughts into the mix. Well, and yeah, just, yeah, go ahead. No, I was sorry to interrupt. I'm just saying um, it's interesting that you pointed out that you actually contemplated not watching baseball last year. Um, you know, you as a Cubs fan, that's not necessarily an organization organization that screams hate for the Astros. Obviously, a, a lot of normal baseball fans completely dislike the Astros for what for their cheating. Um, I just wanted, to, yeah, I was just curious about a being a Cubs fan, and it necessarily was more just it happened in baseball, regardless of who you like. This this shouldn't be happening. And B, um, you mentioned that you know Manfred a little bit. Although the Astros are the first and only team so far to really have been caught, there are, there have been a reports here or there of, you know, the Yankees are a little one by the 2015 Royals and the Red Sox had their iPad scandal. So I guess, um, was it really just from a baseball perspective that made you so angry about the Astros, a baseball fan perspective? And how, how else have you uh, viewed the other scandals aside from the Astros scandal? Yeah, it was just, like I said, like as a baseball fan, I care a lot about integrity, honesty, you know, like there's always going to be people who cut corners and do the wrong thing, but normally there's a system in place to punish them. Like whether it's a criminal thing, whether it's, you know, white collar crime, like whatever the thing is, or if it's somebody in your life, you know, hopefully they apologize. They don't always, but if somebody does something wrong, normally, you know, there's just some consequence and seeing that there was no consequence whatsoever. I know the team got fined maybe like five million, but that's nothing to a team. And and even if the number were higher, even if they find him fifty million, I mean that doesn't punish. That's a lot of money, but that doesn't really affect like any of the people involved. So you know, um, I just thought the fact that there was not one suspension of a player, and then even Cora, uh, Lunau, and Hinch, I guess, were the only mm-hmm. suspensions. They were all only for one year it just felt like ridiculous. It almost felt like a bad dream. And so to answer your question, it was, again, there was no, I had no personal, you know, dog in the fight in the sense of like team rivalry or team, like losing to that Astros team wasn't a part of my baseball experience. Um, just as a baseball fan, I felt offended. Um, and yeah, that, that was where it came from. And then when it took off, it just, I mean, I felt pretty excited by it, but also, I, I mean, I never could have anticipated it like to ha- happening like that. 
I think well, that what you said. Sorry, Danny, go ahead. I think what, what you just said about in terms of uh, integrity and being a fan and disappointed in what happened is very insightful. And it really it really puts into words how a lot of people felt. And, you know, it must feel good for you that you were kind of like the uh, the leader of the revolution in a way of uh, against the Astros. I remember when I first saw your page, I told my dad about it and we were laughing for a while. And it just evolved into so much more into people, you know, still to this day, bring trash cans to games and yeah. blow up trash cans or whatever it was, whatever it is, or bring the asterisks. And, you know, I, I, as soon as I think of that, I think about the baseball newsletter, I think about you and like how much you've done for the game of baseball while not being a part of major league baseball itself. Yeah. Well, yeah. First I, I appreciate the, the nice words and um, yeah, I just, I mean, the whole goal was to sort of like a, to document, what was going on, which was, it was sort of funny that last year there were no fans, like the whole COVID thing happening at the same time was a, such a bizarre coincidence because it's not like my account was like, you know, stream of consciousness from my head, like making jokes about the Astros. It was the whole, at least original idea was just whatever the fans are doing, be sort of a loudspeaker for that, be a documentarian of what's going on at these ballparks. Like you're just anticipating a whole season of, in Cleveland, in Chicago, in, you know, in Dallas in, or Arlington, like everywhere they go, it was going to be this traveling circus of heckling, booing, just everything. And so it is funny that the same, almost the same month, the account started, the whole world shut down and it's still, for whatever reason, like took off a pretty, like pretty massively. I think just, I found other ways to capture the moment, but that was sort of a weird irony to the whole thing. Um, but, and just the other thing I was going to say is I always tried to have a, I think part of the reason maybe it did well, or at least what I wanted to do with it was to not have a tone of whining, like to, to be funny and to be intelligent and to be objective. Well, I, I mean, objective to a sense or, or in a sense, but also, I mean, there's definitely an angle. There's definitely a, I guess you could say a bias in the sense of the bias is anti anti Astros. Like, not that that's a controversial bias, but yeah, there's definitely a point of view. But I just mean, I think if if you had an account that was all about the Astros and if it came off as whiny or like emotional or, you know, butthurt is an internet term people might use, like it's just not as cool. I think it doesn't resonate as much. It, it's It would come off like an obsessive, like sore loser. Even if you're in the right, even if you're right to criticize the Astros, the, the wrong tone would just come off as kind of lame. So I always thought from the beginning be funny, be smart, be just come up with like clever content. That's just really on point. And I think if you want to make fun of something, it's always better to, to, to do it that way. Like be smarter, be funnier. Don't be, don't be screaming and complaining and whining. That just looks kind of, I don't know. You just look kind of dorky if you do that. So I always did it the other way. Um, correct and me yeah, so I, yeah, go ahead. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you almost made it sound like, your mind, your thought process behind it was provide the funny information or the funny content and have the viewers form their own opinion about it rather than whine and complain about the Astros with your own opinion and have yeah. your viewers think what you want them to think. That, that and also like have, like have something to show, you know, like in other words, imagine an account or if on my account, if I was just always saying like, it's been 200 days since Rob Manford refused to punish the Astros and then like, been 210 days since that like if i were to have done that that would just come off as so 
tired and kind of whiny and lame in my opinion. I think I never wanted to do something like that where you're just, you're an angry person who's, who's ranting about how the Astros, you know, suck. It's like, yeah, a lot of people would agree, but it's just the tone would be this like disappointed negative person. Whereas I always try to have the tone be like, like we're a big group of people collectively laughing at this team with style and, and just like very choice comedic sense of humor. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that was kind of just the through line for the entire thing. Um, and then any of the stuff I'm doing now on Twitter, like, you know, I try to have an element of that. Like I have a couple of different accounts now that MLB errors is a good one. Sports fighting the show. Yeah, so, yeah. Like those are not as serious. There's not such a tip. There's not such a topic that's like specific to this season or this year, like the Astros thing, but in the same way, like try to keep whatever the topic is, just try to keep like an element of humor in there that I think, yeah, I just think like, that's kind of what people, what resonates with people on Twitter. For sure. So Brendan, we got two questions to wrap this up because we got time uh, coming to an end. First question is how far do you think the Astros will go this year? And the next question is, who do you think is uh, going to win the World Series this year? Two hard questions, only because I'm never good at predicting stuff. But, I mean, I guess no one is. You know, you always watch those preseason things where, like, who, like Tom Verducci or whoever predicts stuff, and they're just never right. But Never. Astros, I, I mean, honestly, I haven't watched them this year. Um, I mean, maybe I've watched – well, I went to the L.A. – I went to the Dodgers-Astros series in L.A. Um. So I, I, honestly, I just I don't know. I would say the Astros probably lose to the White Sox if I had to say. But like I don't know how good the Astros are. I just I've probably watched parts of like two games online, and then I watched the two games obviously in person. So yeah, I, I like I just don't know how good they are honestly. And then World Series, I I guess I would have to say the Dodgers. Like I think the Rays have the best lineup in baseball by a long shot. I just, if you've ever looked, if you guys ever look up their starting rotation, it's like they sort of get away with it. They, they have deep enough pitching where they get away with it every week. But in terms of a playoff series. And of course they had the injury uh, this year. Yeah. yeah. But I just think they have McClanahan, they have Yarborough. Yarborough. But I, I, just none of those guys are, are like top end. No, no one's a front of the rotation guy there. They're yeah. all, uh, with all due respect, I wouldn't say fringe major leaguers, but they're definitely not one, two guys yeah so i think i don't know I, for the world series i'd probably pick like dodgers white Sox. dodgers winning i mean it's, pr it's probably an obvious pick but yeah you well, guys have, you so much, you have picks? yeah i uh i honestly i was on the white Sox train for a while but i think the brew crew is gonna take it wow i uh personally i went to i've seen a fair amount of uh the mets especially play the dodgers six times or maybe seven in the last month. Yeah. Seven. One of those games. Um, the Dodgers are, it's just interesting. Cause when I, they were without Mookie, um, they had basically three starters when um, the Mets had been playing them, but they just have guy after guy that can step up. So I think the Dodgers definitely would be my pick to win the world series, but going off of what uh, Ben was saying, um, the Brewers and what you were kind of saying about the Rays, the Brewers have pitching. So I don't necessarily think they're going to win the World Series or make it to the World Series, but they have as good a starting three as anyone in 
the uh, in the majors, and then with Williams and Hader, that's as about as good as a one-two punch you can get in your bullpen. So their pitching could carry them, and it wouldn't shock me to see them in the World Series. But at the end of the day, I think the Dodgers have too much talent, and I think they'll they'll repeat and go back to back. Yeah, the only thing I'm bummed out. That's a good pick. The only thing I'm bummed out about is the fact that like I wish the NL East. I mean, you guys would would disagree with this, but I almost wish they could just be canceled, like just eliminated this year as a division because. I want to see Dodgers, Giants, Brewers, and I get uh, maybe the Padres would be the other one. Like those four teams, imagine all of them being in a series. Mm-hmm. What, if, what, if, what if Acuna was there? If Acuna was there, the Braves would be awesome to, to see. Or if DeGrom was with the Mets still. Like if, if the NL East teams were full strength, yeah, they'd be good. But I mean, like, yeah. in other words, the fact that the Braves. It's just, I guess my point is it's a shame that either the Dodgers or Giants will go to a one-game playoff, and then, I mean, I think probably they'd win that, but you never know. Mm-hmm. I was saying to somebody the other day, I wish in the wildcard system, I like the wildcard thing, but I think if a team ever has a a 12-game lead on the second-place wildcard team, then there shouldn't be a wildcard one-game playoff. Like, I think there should be like if the lead is so great. In other words, the Dodgers are how many games ahead of the uh, of the Padres? The Thirteen ahead. I mean, I think it could be the Reds. The Reds, yeah. Whoever, like the Reds or the Padres, the Dodgers are thirteen or fourteen games ahead of both of them. I think if you're that far ahead, MLB should just be like, okay, you you won the wild card game. Like you don't have to play the game. You're just slotted in to play. I guess they'd be playing the Giants. Um, like I've, you know, that will never happen. But I just feel like the rare season when a team is so deserved, they should just get like get an auto clinch. I think that'd be a little bit interesting, but it's a good suggestion. Maybe it'll get the Rob Manfred's desk one day. Who knows? Yeah. Just write him an anonymous letter. Yeah. Drop it off at his office. He got a lot though. He could work on. Well, that's the thing. It's actually not that far fetched because he seems to always be tinkering with. Always. He's just, he's, you know, the zombie runner. He's just doing all these different things. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, anyway, our time is coming. Yeah, I think the time's going to run up, but real quick yeah. before we go, what's the deal? What's going on with the Mets? Is Javi, has he won you guys over again, or what's the status of the team? I, I love Javi. Javi's great. I mean, he 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 really screwed up. I, there's the aspect of that. He should not answer that the way he did. I don't, yeah. I don't know if, if you listened to one of our pods before the trade deadline pod, I was shitting down Javi's neck. I don't like him. You know, like he's a flashy player. He's done some some dumb stuff. Much rather would have liked Bryant. There was obviously the uh, what came out about Bryant is this: if Degrom was healthy, we would have got Bryant. But um, makes no sense that that that's the case when we could have gone after Barrios too or whatnot. But this offseason, I'm fine letting him walk, going after someone like Story, putting them at second base potentially, keeping Lindor at short, and you know going after Brian or Martinez for a big bat that can also be our DH next year when that comes to the National League. I mean, we need something like that. But we need to clear house. McNeil needs to go. Uh, I don't know how I feel about Dom Smith. Conforto walk. Uh, we need a little bit more out of James McCann, but the, the, this season was a bust for sure. Obviously, we're still had a good week. After all that whole debacle, like at least the saving grace was Javi and Lindor, and the whole team had a good, you know, they won like six out of seven or whatever. So that, yeah. that helped a, a bit. But then, you know, Diaz loses our last two games. Right. Which is terrible. Yeah. Mets fan, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get, you know, you waited, a, the Cubs waited a lot longer, but hopefully we'll get one soon. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, I know that the time's coming to an end, so I'll yeah. let you guys uh, wrap up. And, again, thanks for having me on, and 
the last three weeks of the season here will be pretty fun. Yeah. Brendan, thank you so much for coming on. It was, it was an honor to have you. You're very well-spoken. You provide a lot of insight for us and we'd love to have you on again in the future. Uh, let's go Mets. And I hope that you have a great weekend, great rest of the day and good luck to the Cubs ahead. Yeah. Thanks again. Cheers guys. Cheers. Cheers.